Welcome to Australian Hunger. I am your host, Ben. On the show today, I've got Adam Kluger talking about Project Heaven Sent. Really, really interesting chat. Such a long chat, in fact, that I'm not going to have anything else to say, really. So let's get straight to it. His new album, Project Heaven Sent, as part of The Project Heaven Sent, um, Adam Kluger. I wasn't quite sure when to start with this because like, usually you'll talk to a band that's like, hey, when did you start? You'll talk to a, a project or a one-person band and they'll say, oh, when did you start? But this is it's kind of a bit more complicated than that. So you have been, you released, I think it was an EP under your own name, um, an EP and three albums under On Wings of Wax, and now you've got another just you project talk talk, sort of take us back to the kind of beginning of your sort of playing um and i think you played in a band before the uh your own sort of solo project let's go back all the way like uh, start from you sort of playing you know not seriously in in bands and, and seriously as a as a musician yeah sure i mean well first off very um very thorough investigation to go all the way back to that first EP because uh, even I tend to deny its existence, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Um, but yeah, but that was sort of my first shout at sort of making anything uh, on my own. I think, geez, it must have been, I think it was around 2011 that came out approximately. Um, but I mean, the first, my first serious sort of shout or go as a musician was, as you alluded to, in a band. I was actually playing drums at the time. Um, for a Melbourne hardcore band called That'll Be The Day. And um, we took that very, like, proper seriously. You know, um, a lot of practice, touring, uh, trying to get on tours and that kind of thing, and did that for sort of several years. But um, in parallel, I was sort of um, starting to gain an interest in sort of um, home production and, you know, recording my own stuff because I was taking a more general interest in um, composition and, and songwriting and that kind of thing that, you know, just playing drums, not to disparage any drummers, but um, just playing drums sort of wasn't um, fulfilling on its own. So um, yeah, I bought a bit of equipment, and that's when that first EP sort of sort of dropped. Um, then, as my knowledge of sort of home recording techniques and um, as software improved to make things more viable, that's when I sort of started getting into that um, on Wings of Wax era. Uh, essentially, um, that first EP is sort of. Um, ambient and without drums because I wasn't aware of any method of um, making drums sound good all by myself at home, ironically enough, uh, as a drummer. I didn't really have the wherewithal or the resources to record drums properly. So um, that bridge from that solo EP to what became On Wings of Wax was sort of uh, an enlightenment period of uh, learning how to quote-unquote be a full band um, without the need of an actual full band sort of around me to, to help compose and record. I want to talk a bit more about On Wings of Wax because sort of listening through that material, it's not just like, hey, you wanted to approach it and do a particular thing and you did that thing. No, no, it's kind of its own sort of journey in your kind of musical development. Talk a bit about like what sort of happened to you during that period that makes all those albums sound just a little bit different from each other. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um Really, I mean, there was, uh, yeah, like you said, three records and an EP sort of 
um, spread over you know a, a period of several years, and um, they were sort of very formative in a sense to um, a lot of my musical interests uh, as I sort of got older and and sort of my mind was expanded as to what was out there. Um, it really went from like in the earlier days, very like riff driven stuff. Like, like I mentioned, I was in a sort of hardcore slash metalcore band. So um, in those early days, I was very inspired by like um, August Burns Red and Parkway Drive um, in their sort of uh, heyday. And um, geez, who else? Like The Ghost Inside, uh, Misery Signals, who actually I still am very fond of to this day. Um, very sort of chuggy, um, sort of syncopated, complex, heavy stuff, right? Um, but then also, I, mean, I was never I was never fond of being a vocalist back then uh, either. So I kind of omitted that from the uh, recording process. I wasn't keen on trying to write lyrics and that sort of thing because I was also into instrumental stuff. Uh, Cloud Kicker being sort of chief among them, if you're familiar, um, who is sort of a similar deal, a sort of uh, one man project uh, doing everything out of um, out of their bedroom, so to speak. So uh, it started from there, and then you know, as I was getting older, I was getting into like softer, more progressive stuff. Uh, I was introduced to uh, Carnival, for example, for the the Aussie listeners. Um, hopefully we'll be familiar with them and um, Cog as well, the, those kinds of bands. And they're getting into, you know, more softer, expansive, uh, like post-rock and, and that kind of thing. So um, really there's three records there, which I think of as a trilogy. There's The, the Escape, uh, The Empty Bed and The Long Way Home, which kind of form this interesting uh, journey from something quite heavy and like, and like chuggy and wanting to just be sort of uh, metal to trying to get sort of quite textural and expansive um, to the point where that the last record, The Long Way Home, uh, was written as a single uh, close to 30 minute piece as opposed to um, a series of songs. So yeah, it was, it was, it was quite a, a time of change because in that time as well, I also left That'll Be The Day. Um, so the the metalcore influence in my life became less and less uh, as those years went on. What was really fascinating about that is like I was sort of because you know coming to it fresh, didn't know what to expect. I assume it would be you know something more or less like Project Heavenstent, and I definitely got that vibe from the first EP from you as a you know under your own name, and then it went kind of into this metalcore direction, then slowly kind of went back there like, like why like, i think maybe it's just maybe it's just because of the drums maybe it's a stupid question but like it almost seemed like you were so close to project heaven sent and then you kind of went on a big loop and then found yourself back there almost if that makes any sense yeah it does i mean it's it's kind of funny now sort of trying to look at it in hindsight because um in some senses back then it was really like a, a, a functional limitation when it came to recording. Um, like I was saying before that first EP, I was, there was a, a sheer absence of the ability to do drums, which kind of uh, forcibly uh, drove me towards trying to do something like, you know, softer and, and um, more contemplative, I suppose. Um, I mean, to an extent that the interest in like, for example, um, acoustic music and like, I wouldn't quite say I'm not a, a, a big folk music uh, listener per se but you know i do enjoy the occasional like acoustic duo or that kind of thing um which kind of always existed but was sort of less influential in my life you know when i was in that'll be the day it was such a predominant feature of um what i did that um it's mostly all i listened to um so yeah it's it's it's, a, it's i'm just sort of just trying to process it because you you do raise a kind of interesting point there was also this sort of sense of um 
how do I like forcible uh, siloing of my various influences, if if that makes sense. Where, um, you know, even going back several years, I, I did like playing with ambient texture and um, and more expansive sounds. Uh, however, I thought to myself, you know, that's not metalcore or that's not gent or whatever have you. So I would tend to steer it away from what I was composing at that time, which was, you know, more um, metalcore oriented, I suppose. So uh, I guess as, as one gets older and one listens to more stuff, um, one has less trepidation to sort of try to amalgamate uh, influences into a, a sort of uh, a signal a single rather uh sort of musical vision but then it's also like just technical lack of ability as well um as you listen to the records going back i think you'll find um each one sound sort of sounds more conducive and, and flows better than the last which is something that's always a primary focus for me um but i just didn't necessarily have the ability or the um uh, the cognitive function to to really make uh, seemingly disparate genres sort of marry together and, and sound like a, a cohesive band or, or a musical composition. I think this sets up, up perfectly to go into Project Heaven Sent. Like, so you've got On Wings of Wax. Why did you decide to stop doing that and start a different project? Because, you know, there's definitely a through line that you could have drawn between those two different things. Yeah, definitely so. Um, and it's funny, like, if, if we sort of look at the backstory before this record came out or before I was working on the, the first, I guess the debut record um, for project heaven sent, I was still like for months, maybe even a year or more trying to compose what would have been the next on wings of wax record. Um, but I was kind of becoming a little dis- disparaged or um, I guess frustrated by feeling like I, I was in a box, even though, you know, on wings of wax was, my baby and I could effectively do whatever I wanted with it. Some sort of um, illusory uh, glass walls sort of uh, formed around me. And I felt as though I could only write in a certain capacity or into a certain style um, that as well. And I think it just, it felt sort of a bit too long between records in my mind, whether that's true or not, I'm not really sure, but this sort of burden of having been away for so long and, sort of being frustrated by my musical output. I actually put down the guitar for maybe six or eight months uh, out of sheer frustration and sort of lack of interest in terms of what I was producing. So I kind of had to back away and, and reestablish what I wanted out of music and where I wanted it to go. And so it was really probably just as much for my own sort of sanity than anything else that um, I felt like On Wings of Wax did what it needed to do musically um, and more broadly for me as a, as a human being wanting to do something creative. So I kind of felt like in order to progress, I had to draw a curtain on, on what I had done, uh, sort of call that good, like a nice bundle of, of records there in that sort of pastiche of more metal oriented stuff. Not to say that project heaven sent isn't metal, but um, it does, it for some reason feels fundamentally different to me in a, in a manner of ways. And so um, I don't know if I would have come out with anything if I hadn't sort of, uh, made made the change and sort of uh, I guess staked a new banner in the ground with with a new name and um, ethos and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Now, now how, how did you come to say come to say come to feel that all right I've put the, down the guitar but I've reemerged and I've found something that makes me passionate and actually wants to makes me want to put something out. How, how did that come about? 
Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I'm trying to think of what the first song was that I was writing that sort of became the Project Heaven Sent thing. It may I don't actually think it was part of the record as as it turns out actually, but I actually I, I put I put my toe in the water really. I got back into it very slowly. Um, I was messing around with like uh, covers and just random ideas sort of here and there. Uh, actually, there's one I've I've got out on YouTube floating around somewhere. It's a cover of um, uh, Sex Tape by Deftones, um, which was sort of a reimagining of of the song in a much more sort of ambient sort of uh, lo-fi. Uh, kind of vibe which was really really fun to do so um i kind of just in taking some time away you know just trying to get back that sense of excitement and 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 drive just for the sake of wanting to compose without sort of any um burden or um presupposition that this is something i need to be doing uh, with on wings of wax it did get to a point where i thought oh it's been it's been 10 months or it's been 14 months or whatever have you. And, and no one's heard from me. I have to write something. Um, and that kind of takes the fun out of it, I suppose. So that old adage of, you know, that absence makes the heart grow fonder. It does eventually get to a point where you start sort of, yeah, you pick it up once and you mess around and um, you kind of have fun just for the sake of the instrument. Again, no expectations, um, no anything like that. So, once it got to that point where I was enjoying just being uh, a musician again, just for my own fun and my own sort of uh, creative output, then I was sort of refreshed enough, I suppose, that I felt like I could um, tackle another full length and sort of get back out there, so to speak. But it did it did take a long time. And like I mentioned, I think there's at least two or three songs or ideas um, that probably won't see the light of day that were the sort of, uh, bridging piece between On Wings of Wax and Project Heaven Sent, because in my mind, they sound reasonably different, even though there are some fairly obvious commonalities. So there is a sort of bridging period of half-baked uh, like riffs and um, so, sort of song layouts that never really got anywhere, but they kind of really did. They were the precursor to what became the, the actual full-length record. Now, from the documentary you put out on your YouTube page, it seems like it was kind of an organic process of searching rather than heading towards a preconceived goal. Talk a little bit about that process and how the album kind of emerged from it. Yeah, totally. I mean, part of it is sort of as we alluded to earlier on in the interview where um, I am one person as opposed to, you know, a band which you might sort of be more used to referencing or talking about. So, I mean, really, the, the any limitations back when I was doing On Wings of Wax were self-imposed. You know, there was no uh, real necessary expectation from fans or, or a record label to tell me how I needed to write. But I got locked in that mind frame anyway. Um, so after taking enough time away, I, I basically said, you know, screw it. I'm just going to sort of see what comes out, you know. And, and naturally, in, in that interim, I'd still been listening to uh, a wide variety of music, which all sort of um, compiled itself into the current version of me that had an interest in writing, however you'd term or, or genreify Project Heaven Sent. So um, it was, yeah, the most organic and sort of natural of processes. It was, for, for me, as long as I'm having fun, the uh, music is kind of just a byproduct. Like it's just a, it's a, it's a, 
happenstance of the fact that I'm doing something I'm passionate about. So I'm not too phased in terms of what direction it happens to go in um, sort of sonically or, or otherwise. So it's really just a byproduct of me really enjoying composition and um, experimentation with with instruments for sure because I, I am very much into texture and, and layering and, and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, locking myself away in, in, the, in the spare bedroom and um, just plugging in some of my guitar pedals and seeing what weird noises I could make and um, just trying to explore new territory I haven't explored before. Um, just making sure I'm having fun and, you know, burning an entire weekend, just hold away, seeing what comes out. Um, if I'd end up not liking the song or whatever I've written, that's sort of, it's unfortunate, but uh, it wasn't, it's only part of the the exercise, if that makes sense. The The primary function is to be just enjoying the creative process. And if cool songs happen to come out at the end of it in this case, then um, that's awesome. And I'll try to do something with it, which happened to be the case here. But like I mentioned before, it was sort of arduous and there were songs I had a lot of fun trying to write, which ultimately I didn't think were, um, I suppose, suitable or uh, conducive to a, a single release. But um, it was still really fun. Um, and so it was kind of just like, yeah, let's let's sort of do whatever and then see what happens. And, and part of it as well is just like I've, like I've mentioned, you know, just uh, like I mentioned earlier, getting better at the instruments, getting better at composition meant <clears throat> I could write a thing that was more cohesive and, and more sort of free flowing and um, more welcoming to seemingly disparate influences because I did start to sort of I feel as though my, my ability to sort of bring in um, a wide array of influences is getting better as I'm sort of getting older and uh, listening to you know, gathering more ideas and that, and that kind of thing. Like stripping back to kind of a more basic question, where, where does the name Project Heaven Sent come from? Sure thing. Um, it's a kind of two-pronged, I suppose, this kind of, I don't want to say like dichotomous name, but it kind of has two meanings. Um, but back when I was writing this record, but before anyone was aware of it or I had any social media presence, it was just me writing stuff. Um, and it got to a point where I'm like, well, A, I want to do... I want to put vocals in this, so I need some kind of uh, lyrical driving force. And B, I just simply didn't have a name for what this thing would be called. Um, you know, some people like to put it out under their own name, but I, I do prefer to sort of um, present the the uh, impression that there's a, a band um, behind the music, so to speak. I think it's just sort of easier to process in the sort of general public. Um, but that aside. Um, I also have an interest in um, in writing and, and narrative fiction and that kind of thing and science fiction chief among them. Um, and so part of um, what uh, a side project I was working on was this thing I was kind of calling Project Heaven Sent, um, which is this um, right now very loose sort of skeleton framework of um, a science fiction narrative I'm working on. I, th I just thought it kind of sounded cool, um, but also kind of felt it um, – uh, thematically appropriate to plug into uh, the kind of sonic information that was sort of being produced as a byproduct of me writing stuff. So um, rather than leaving these as, as separate entities, I thought I'll sort of borrow from this very loose narrative I've got going on off to the side and incorporate it into the musical structure. So it became this sort of twofold approach of this sort of sci-fi sci concept roughly uh, blended in with just sort of music that I'm writing and, and having fun with. So, and then also to, then to that point takes on a double meaning because, um, lyrically he's trying to address a lot of, um, sort of 
social issues I see, I suppose, uh, among people and um, and a, a bunch of sort of deep themes like that, as you, I'm sure you can imagine. And, and Project Heaven Sent is kind of this loose commentary uh, referring to this, I think, apathetic mindset that people can tend to fall into in their day-to-day lives where um, – you know, they, they wish for something to change in their lives, but it isn't changing and kind of are hoping for some external force to uh, sort of lift them out of any um, depressive state they might be in or whatever have you. So Project Heaven Sent or the term Heaven Sent is sort of my roundabout reference to to that kind of theme, which is re- like a relatively central peer, t- uh, sorry, pillar to the science fiction narrative and then by proxy the the music itself. One thing that kind of fascinates me about this is you've you're, you're a drummer for a band. You're a, all things except a vocalist for uh, two EPs, three albums, and then you add vocals. Like what what, what happened there? That's <laughs> a good question. I mean, to an extent, I, I always had this sort of internal conflict because I was developing some vocal um, competence as early back as when I was in that'll be the day. Um, not as a main vocalist, mind you, but I was doing some backup vocals uh, on the EP that we recorded and sometimes live, depending on when you play on small stages, the drummer doesn't, isn't always afforded uh, a vocal microphone. But um, so, uh, you know, being, being interested in heavy bands, I was, you know, that, that teenager who was like, oh man, I really wish I could scream like Winston from Parkway Drive, but how the hell do you do it? You know, just throw my arms up in the air and um, kind of give up on the notion. Um, but then as you know, as time went on and I did a bit of research, I kind of – I started to find the roots of what became my vocal style um, way back in those early days. But um, yeah, again, I mean I guess it was probably a sense of dissatisfaction in terms of like the vocals not being fully developed um, and this sort of internal conflict in terms of, oh, I don't want to just scream. I want to be able to sing as well. But then my clean singing is, is even to this day still uh, – I would term it appalling. Uh, <laughs> so just never having the full full confidence in my vocals to put them in in music, I suppose. Um, and it, bearing in mind as well, like living in, in parents' homes and what have you, but, you know, back in those days, uh, I could record almost silently for the most part, but then uh, doing bellowing uh, you know, heavy metal vocals from my upstairs bedroom and, and startling the neighbors was uh, uh, always... Uh, a reasonable put off when it when it came to sort of inserting a vocal style into into my music. So uh, many detractive factors at that point in time prevented me from really um, being utterly convinced that vocals were necessary. And also, I think a, a pretentious streak really back then, which was like, oh, but music doesn't need lyrics. That's absurd. And so I sort of just arbitrarily tried to prove that point by you know uh, being thoroughly unoriginal as it turns out and being one amongst many um instrumental only bands of of that period <laughs> but like the, the, I, I think the vocals are really interesting really interesting approach they kind of have that a, a, a definite hardcore streak you know obviously from where you can, your, your roots but then they're kind of i think pitched a lot lower than a lot of hardcore metalcore sort of similar vocals are they mm. kind of have a like, almost mournful quality to them throughout the album like, talk, talk a little bit about how you've sort of developed them were you aiming for anything in particular like uh, to emulate people uh, like w- was there particular things that you were doing to practice like how, how they came along sort of in the background and then emerged in this album yeah sure thing um 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, naturally, like any vocalist, there's sort of um, physiological boundaries in which I need to operate. And um, to that point, there's only one. The foundation of my vocals are, are just one of, um, I'm trying to remember the terminology. There's vocal fry, which is what you hear on a lot of um, like metalcore bands and that kind of thing. And there's another one, and the, the term escapes me. But um, that's I've only really been able to manage one type of scream, fundamentally speaking. Um, back in the day, uh, I really liked those hardcore screamers, um, like I mentioned before, like the ghost inside, that sort of more breathy, um, open sounding vocal that isn't really that distorted. Um, but back in the day, my scream was much more akin to, um, someone like, uh, you know, Winston from Parkway Drive or, um, Aaron Turner from formerly ISIS and, um, now isis the band obviously not the uh, organization uh now old man gloom and sumac um in the more modern day um i equate my original vocal style to something like that very distorted and low pitched and um sort of brooding i suppose in that kind of way but then i was it didn't for my mind didn't really suit the motif in um in terms of like the overall musical structure for project heaven sent um and i was getting really into bands like uh primarily um Envy, who is a, like a, an emo slash hardcore band out of Japan, um, that much more sort of uh, angsty, uh, intense, emotional kind of vo- vocal delivery, um, which I was never able to master. And really only in doing this record, I was able to sort of find a way to, to find that delivery, which is sort of uh, when I'm delivering the vocals, it's sort of that foundation of a really heavily distorted scream. But it's almost a blend. It's almost like spoken word-ish. Like, uh, for example, uh, in the months leading up to the record, I was listening to a lot of uh, La Dispute, um, and they've got that sort of semi, like that mostly spoken word kind of delivery, uh, which is kind of in, really intense, but um, not in any way sort of uh, melodic or a tr- like a traditional musical scream. So uh, it was that attempt to sort of marry those two notions more than anything else, trying to, like you kind of touch on, like get a really emotional, mournful, uh, intense delivery that wasn't necessarily just, you know, quote unquote brutal. I was trying to find, sort of found, find, um, find a balance, especially for like a lot of the cleaner sections because sort of screaming your head off with really intense distorted vocals was not going to suit um, sort of a musical framework that was, I don't know, like something in the realm of 50% um, like clean instruments and that kind of thing. So um, it was a lot of trial and error, to be perfectly honest, and a lot of deleted vocal takes <laughs> to sort of find that right balance. Because, um, yeah, it was a bit, it's a bit of a tricky one. And I mean, I'm by no means a master of, of vocal delivery, but uh, sort of found a function that that worked, and also a function that didn't uh, damage my vocal cords in any way, at least so far. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, that's about the truth. Um, two two other aspects of the. Two other aspects of the album I found really interesting were the inclusion of quite a lot more synths. I, I can't recall if there was a lot of synth in the previous albums, but I, I think there's definitely more if there were in the previous one, as well mm-hmm. as well as the length. Like it was a lot longer. Talk talk about those two aspects and how they've sort of become I don't know more prominent in your music. Yeah, sure thing. Um, yeah, the synths were an interesting one. Uh, you, you were um, pretty on point there. I mean, in, the, in my previous work, only really in the last record, um, The Long Way Home, were there sort of a, 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 a semi-presence of synths in, in some section. Um, even back then, I was interested in sort of 
ambient textures and that kind of thing, but it was very um, guitar-driven. Um, so it was kind of a lot of um, putting reverb and effects on my guitar, but really still being a, effectively a guitar-driven project where uh, now I got much more interested in um, uh, like software plugins, like synth plugins. Uh, a very good friend of mine, um, his name is uh, Ricardo, who uh, writes um, sort of synthwave slash outrun stuff, um, sort of put me onto a lot of really cool plugins that he uses for his work. Um, and, you know, a lot of them were, were free or, or not much money. So I sort of, just for the sake of it, just sort of jumped in there. And, you know, for, for free, why not just sort of try and see if I can incorporate this into um, into my writing? And, and, and lo and behold, it sort of worked. And it kind of speaks to a wider, uh, I suppose, ethos or drive in terms of making musical stuff. Um where I find I find myself more productive when I'm sort of adding a new element each time around, sort of sort of something uh, new and intriguing to kind of drag me through the process, I suppose. Um, as for the, the the length of the record, I mean, it's kind of I kind of always wish I had the the ability or the the, the drive to write longer records, back, sort of back in the day uh, in the On Wings of Wax era, but just could never sort of fully um, realize any a- ambition or um, ideas that I had in, in that respect. Um, but really in the, in the, um, in that time between then and now, um, listening to a lot more, um, sort of drawn out ambient stuff like the, the post metal, um, genre and, and like bands, um, I'm trying to think, for example, like, uh, shells is a, is a great example. Oh, there's some others on the tip of my tongue, but, um, getting more familiarized with, um, non-formal song structures, I suppose, which, uh, um, explore, uh, sort of one motif and sort of drag it out over a long period of time. Um, that always sort of really appealed to me uh, as someone into like ambient and atmospheric music, especially. So um, it kind of really happened by, by accident. I mean, this time around there wasn't necessarily an ambition to write a, a crazy long record or anything like that, but um, I guess less fear when it just came to, um, you know, making songs drag out for longer you know back then i was always worried sort of the listener's attention span might wane if the sort of section isn't changing every um you know 30 seconds to a minute where now i guess the validation of hearing um really excellent bands who sort of wrote 10 12 15 minute songs where they sort of fundamentally only have you know two or three sections but uh elaborate and rehash them in in many different ways I found more creatively intriguing and far more difficult to pull off, I suppose, to sort of still keep a listener engaged while effectively not really playing anything different. It's sort of much more subtle. um, And I think intriguing for me as as a composer, but um, I also find intriguing and appealing as a a listener. Um, So I kind of, yeah, just getting into that and knowing that that was okay. Um, The the 43 minutes I think of, of music kind of just happened as a byproduct of that. You're as, as you can tell from your YouTube, page, you're a big fan of um, guitar gear. Like, how do you go about, how, how do you go about and like how much time does it take you to find the right sound for uh, the, the record more generally and songs more specifically? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I am very, uh, I suppose, guitar centric these days. Uh, I haven't, uh, to briefly detour, I haven't really played drums properly in in several years. Um, 
simply because I've sort of moved out of a space where I could have drums. So um, guitars sort of become my main uh, focus in terms of, um, I, I suppose, just instrument playing. Um, but you know, it, it really it's it's it gets easier as you just as you do it more. Um, in essence, my recording setup at home is more like the core of it is the same as it's always been since I started writing music on my own. Um, so your ears kind of adapt to um, that which you're sort of looking for, that which you know is going to work um, when it comes to recording. And, um, you know, just even the basic familiarities with your workflow, such as knowing, oh, you know, that particular guitar pedal sounds really cool if I put this knob in that position. Um, there's a lot of little things and like seemingly, quote unquote, you know, guitar hacks or what have you, which are actually just sort of experience over time. So the core of my sound is more or less the same as it's always been. Um, but that's sort of just become more refined um, as I'm getting a better understanding of what I want to sound like. Uh, as al- And also being involved in the mixing side of things, um, you kind of come to know reasonably rapidly what's going to work and what's not going to. Um, usually because you end up having to re-record something that's uh, – ends up not sounding good once you come to mixing it. So um, out of <laughs> almost biological reflex of wanting to um, avoid repeating myself, you kind of just get better at, at dialing that stuff in. Um, and then, I mean, when it comes to developing new sounds, like for, on this record, there is a lot of new elements, even still, despite having that sort of same core setup. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of trial and error. And it's um, a lot of being willing to throw away stuff that doesn't work rather than being convinced, oh, if I do this thing, it's going to sound really cool, and then sort of just hammering it home until it sounds like something presentable, um, sort of being really self-critical um, and open to new ideas, um, and just, yeah, just getting rid of stuff if it doesn't work and being willing to move on to the next thing um, really lends itself to uh, honing in on what actually really works um, you know, for an end product, um, but also during that sort of post-production phase, um, just you you have a really good uh, foundation to start molding from rather than sort of um, just keeping whatever you came up with and, and hoping for the best. So, yeah, a lot of trial and error. And that's yeah, pretty much pretty much the end of it. I think that that's the main thing is that willingness to sort of let go um, has proven most productive over, over the years.
so you you did this one all at home. Yep. Um, run us through like how that's been. And I know I think you've done a little bit of some of the elements of that before. How was it doing on this record? Were were there stuff you were approaching newly? Was there stuff you were refining? Like all all that kind of junk. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of the the new stuff. I mean, did you want to sort of do you want me to delve in, in terms of the more technical side of things, or yeah, by like all the, means, yeah, sure thing. Uh, I mean, it's effectively leveraging you know the really awesome new technology that's out there these days. Sort of, I mean, in the last maybe decade or so, it really started to emerge. Um, sort of guys writing software or like creating um, physical boxes that sort of emulated um, amplifiers and, and guitar cabs to like a, a reasonable degree. Uh, I, I, I myself am using the Avid 11 rack, um, which is one such uh, emulator. So it's sort of one box that sits on my desk that emulates uh, dozens of like amplifiers and cabinets and that kind of thing. It doesn't sound as amazing as like you know a, a real setup, so to speak, like a proper amplifier, but um, it allows me to record very silently. And I think a vast majority, once you've mixed and, and mastered a record, um, the the uh, finished product is indistinguishable for, for sort of the vast majority of listeners. So um, really it is just sort of getting on, on that technology. These days there's um, just actual software. Like you don't need anything except your guitar and a cable more or less. And um, there's software you can run on your computer that sounds remarkably like an amplifier. So um, really I'm, I'm one of a plethora of um, home recording people who, who just sort of just take advantage of this technology. Uh, I, I tend to have more of a, a hybrid setup where um, I have quote-unquote quote real guitar pedals and I do have a real amplifier um, that I uh, um, use as part of the process, um, but as well as I leverage a lot of software. Uh, my mixing and mastering is uh, entirely software. I mean, your tradition, uh, one's, sorry, one's traditional notion of sort of that guy in the studio with all like the do- the knobs and dials and and switches and cool lights uh, is ant- is antithetical to how most bedroom musicians do their work it's all just um, you know the virtual reproduction of these things in in software form so um, in essence that's basically it uh, drum wise as well again it's just leveraging really amazing software that's out there um, for anyone who's interested I used um, a product called Easy Drummer. I think Easy Drummer version two from memory and a company called TuneTrack make that. Uh, but there's several competitors out there to that company who make if, effectively like um, sample libraries. So um, very good engineers go in very nice rooms across the world and, and record isolated samples of every drum and cymbal you could think conceivable and then package that up into a very um, easy to use piece of software. So you can essentially sequence what sounds like real drums. So, um, that's really basically it is sort of staying abreast of, uh, amazing, um, sort of, uh, virtual instruments, I suppose, um, has been the, the crux of how I do things since, since I started recording music. And really my introduction to that world was what rapidly got me started in home recording. As, as soon as I realized this was even possible. I sort of jumped on that train as soon as I could. 
It's pretty incredible. Like uh, uh, quite a few of the people I've spoken to of the short run so far of this podcast have basically been doing something very similar to what you've been doing. Uh, yeah, it's it's really amazing. Like people just have basically a room, and that's all they need. You know, the room and its contents. It's it's it's, it's amazing kind of era we find ourselves in. Yeah, it's it's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, I, I'm. I am under no illusions that I'm sort of unique in this aspect. Um, you know, there's you'll hear songs on like Triple J or whatever have you, where it's like a kid on his laptop, um, and that's it. You know, that's all all they need, and they can compose sort of the next big dance hit or whatever have you. You know, um, software is so incredible these days that uh, and so accessible um, that really, I mean, all you need is the motivation and maybe a little bit of money to get you started, depending on. Because um, there is some necessary hardware in, in some cases, uh, a computer not least of which. But I mean, these things are so um, so available in our in our in our world these days that pretty much anyone will have a computer that you can conceivably make music on. So you just need to be motivated and interested, and and the sort of the whole musical world is is at your fingertips. So sort of moving outside the strictly musical aspects of the album, in terms of theme and plot of the album like obviously with the detail you're comfortable with can you tell us a little bit about that yeah sure thing um i mean i'll do my best i mean honestly it is uh, in terms of a structured narrative it's quite uh, nebulous it's not really fully fleshed out but um sort of it's it's good enough that i felt i could leverage it um to at least write this record. And now I'm actually in the process of sort of trying to dial in as something that's a little more succinct um, and sort of usable in a, in a narrative context, if, if that makes sense. Um, but in essentially the, this record here in, in that sort of narrative world is a, is a prequel or like, um, geez, how would you even compare it? Uh, I don't want to get super nerdy, but I mean, if you're familiar with something like, um, what the Silmarillion is to the Lord of, Lord of the Rings um, saga. It's this sort of general overview of what the world is and its contents and sort of how things came to be um, in what what you'd then call the present day if you were sort of reading a book or something like that. Um, so it's it's setting the scene of this this future world, I suppose, or it's, it's our world essentially in probably a few centuries' time where, um, in essence... Um, humanity is is being forced to uh, expedite their their leaving of planet Earth because they've it's functionally destroyed it or you know um, taken all of its um, useful resources and can no longer exist on on Earth uh, and so uh, emerge to the stars and try to find another another place to survive and that's where the name Project Heaven Sent came from on that side of things because it's the um, It'd be like the code name or like the operation sort of name, if that makes sense, of like the scientists of the world trying to figure out where they could sort of reestablish um, humanity. Um, so that's sort of the core of what then would form the the sort of more present day story, which would be occurring after all that's happened. And there's sort of human colonies have resettled elsewhere and this, this whole other sort of story undertakes itself. But um in essence, really, once I introduce it to the musical concept, it kind of just becomes a vehicle for me expressing my own thoughts and views and, and those kinds of things. I mean, humanity and its sort of abuse of the planet, not least of which sort of among them, but it's also this sort of um, 
exploration of a lot of themes around um, more sort of general uh, societal frameworks and, and political structures and, and all those kinds of things and really personal stuff too, you know, like exploring, um, you know, I imagine this big sci-fi narrative, but how if you zoom in on that, there are real people being affected by these, you know, these fictional tragedies that I'm talking about, you know, like the real families and real individuals getting, you know, uh, displaced or sick or killed or whatever have you being affected by these um, sort of oppressive circumstances. So through that, I then explore, you know, a lot of stuff to do with my own relationships and my own sort of um, or the way I see the world from the inside out, as well as how I think it functions from the outside in. It's this whole sort of weird dichotomous um seemingly contradictory in a sense story which in my head somehow all plugs in together and kind of tells a story i think at this stage i feel like a couple of centuries might be optimistic unfortunately <laughs> yeah mm. I, I i have no i've not locked in a time frame by by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> but um in some hypothetical future tense where um you know we've got the technology to to sort of uh, escape a dying planet, whatever that might be, you know, trying to base it off uh, other sci-fi um, to get a ballpark. But, I mean, you can basically pick any number, I suppose. Mm. Now, what, one thing about the album, and maybe it's the music, maybe it's just the vocals, but it has like a, I don't know, a sort of sadness to it. Uh, you know, I don't think that's overwhelming the whole album, but there's there's a definite sort of sadness that kind of ebbs and flows throughout it. Where, where does that kind of was, was that your intention going in? Was that something intentional? Talk, talk a little bit about that. Um, it's hard to say whether it's intentional. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily set out to tell sad stories or anything like that but i do think there's sort of i mean to be antithetical to the sort of the pop radio machine that sort of a lot of us hear every day you know where it's sort of exploring very shallow basic um generally cheerful emotions um so i think yeah it can come across sort of sad or melancholic um and i'm by no means disappointed by that sort of coming through because it, it is i mean at the very least, it's exploring very emotionally complex things, I think. I mean, it even goes, in my mind, beyond sort of sadness and anger um, and those kinds of things. Um, you know, it's, it's exploring like like the notion of, 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 al of altruism and how that can get distorted um, through a particular lens and uh, a whole bunch of other really sort of complex sort of things. So um, it is definitely not a, a happy record by, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and yeah, while not strictly and like an ambition moment to moment, you know, I'm not um, writing things that I don't sit there going, oh, this doesn't sound sad enough. I need to make it sound sadder or anything of that nature. Um, it's in the moment. It's just sort of, you know, in, in my head, you know, proper art is something really cathartic and expressive. So um, I, I suppose what I need to get out of me at some level is sort of um, complex and melancholic sort of ideas that I wouldn't necessarily um, express to a person face to face. You know, if I was sort of having a conversation around drinks, I wouldn't necessarily get into these sorts of topics. So um, really in that respect, music becomes my only really, my only real vehicle for um, trying to express what I think are, uh, well, really what are really important sort of deep issues for me, but what I think are 
also issues that I think need to be expressed to a wider audience. And, and part of what I hope in getting this record out there is that it does sort of uh, achieve a level of sort of introspection or reflection on the listener um, insofar that they might sort of um, experience such things, but also in hearing them from another source, sort of be able to process some of these more challenging ideas and uh, hopefully, you know, come out the other end a, a slightly happier or a more optimistic person or something like that. The kind of nature of a one-person project is it's very insular in a lot of levels because, you know, you're doing the things, you're coming up with the concepts, you're coming up with the music, as opposed to a band where there's, you know, and obviously this can vary between band and band, but there's a lot of kind of collaboration, even if one person's mainly coming up with the music, they're sort of bouncing ideas back off everyone. Um, during the process of writing the record, do you sort of seek feedback, input from anyone else about the material, their their thoughts or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, chief, chief among them, my partner. Uh, you know, it's like every twenty minutes or so, I'm like yelling over my shoulder to her, saying like, "Oh, what do you think of this?" You know, and um, seeking that validation because um, otherwise, there really isn't any. Um, it's it's sort of a, a funny sort of dichotomous experience because being the only quote unquote band member means I can do whatever I want. You know, there's there's no restrictions. I have no. Um, band members to disappoint or frustrate because the song's not going in the direction they want. You know, it's not this sort of proverbial tug of war. Um, but yeah, the flip side of that, it, it can be challenging at times because, you know, I write a thing and I go, is this good? Oh, I, I think it's good, but really, is it good? Oh, is it good? I don't know. And you sort of, you kind of go back and forth amongst yourself, <laughs> essentially, um, being really unsure of, um, the direction, uh, you know, an idea might be taking. So yeah, I definitely bounce a lot of, um, uh, stuff off my partner and she tends to have a good sort of critical ear. Um, and has been with me since I've been writing music basically since forever. So is sort of, uh, familiar with my process and that kind of thing. So yeah, many thanks to her. And of course, a few, um, friends here and there, um, at work, uh, like at, uh, my buddy Rick, who I mentioned earlier, who's also a composer, um, I threw a lot of ideas at him, especially in the in the mixing phase of things, because um, he's also um, a, a trained musician and has a really good ear for, for those kinds of things. So luckily, I have a few close people around me to sort of um, help me through the process, because on some level, it is it can get a little challenging to sort of be sure enough of oneself and, and the, um, I guess, end products um, to be confident enough to say, here's, you know, just sort of go with the thing and, and put it out there without sort of anyone else listening to it. I think ultimately it's probably a little dangerous um, to be so sure of a thing. I mean, if you have no choice, of course, that's that's totally fine. But uh, having a, a friendly ear or two to borrow once in a while is, is hugely beneficial. Um, and it's probably one of the primary things I do miss from um, functioning in a more uh, band-oriented context. Now, on YouTube, you've kind of got a, some behind-the-scenes little documentary series about the making album. Why, why did you decide to put that together um, as you were sort of progressing slowly towards this release? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's not something that I really sort of... that really came to full fruition. Um, just to briefly touch on that, it came to a point where I, it felt a little inhibitive to the creative process to sort of try and document it. Um but it is something I do. I'm still interested in doing because I do have a like general interest in in um, 
in like videography and photography and that kind of thing. Um, so if I can find a way to marry that back into um, the creative process, that would be really cool. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I guess it's a sort of, I, I have an intrinsic interest in, in bands or in, in the creative process more generally um, and sort of have the utmost respect for um, creatives who sort of open the door um, sort of behind the scenes into what really goes on. Um, I think there's a lot to learn from from that kind of thing. And I mean, I've watched countless documentaries um, and sort of, you know, studio footage of, of um, musicians and how they do things. And it's really informed a lot of how I tend to do things. Uh, that's not to say that I'm someone people should necessarily be learning off. Um, but nevertheless, I thought, hey, I'll try put this thing out there. Um, and if there's something to glean, if it sort of uh, piques someone else's interest in sort of uh, undertaking a creative endeavor, then, you know, I'll I'll sort of call that a win. Yeah, in, in part, I mean, if, if I'm going to be brutally honest, in part it is, I, I'm going to say the word cross-promotional, as ugly as that might sound, um, because the musical landscape is so challenging these days that um, if there, if you have extra dimensions to offer the the sort of listening or consuming public, um, you know, there's a hope that that'll sort of drag them into being interested in the, in the long term and you know being interested in future records when they come out uh, or you know telling their friends about this thing, you know, b- becoming invested. So um, there's always just that hope that in doing more stuff um, creatively and sort of covering. Yeah, spreading oneself over a, a broader distance that um, it's essentially casting the net a little wider and, and, and hoping that these elements combined will, will create an engaged audience. Mm-hmm. What, what does the future hold for Project Heaven Sent? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, the, the core of it is essentially uh, make more music, uh, whatever form that takes. I mean, you know, I've kind of hopped, skipped, and jumped through through uh, projects as we've, as we've touched on um, through this interview. Um, but I mean, in, in more pragmatic terms, um, now that this record's done, I'm I'm sort of, I'm taking a little bit of a break um, just to sort of uh, musically, I suppose, absorb some more influence. And basically, I don't want to sound the same as the last record, <laughs> so I'm sort of trying to give myself a little time to sort of gestate and and. Uh, sort of evolve a little bit in a sort of sonic sense for, for lack of a better term. Uh, but in, in the meantime, I'm sort of trying to figure out what narrative structure um, the record might take. Um, at the moment, I've kind of got sort of three main narrative um, structures, or not structures, three narrative, I suppose, plot points, like um, in your classic fictional um, sort of parallel storylines, something like, you know, Game of Thrones where the, the, the show's telling um, the story from multiple points of view that are sort of uh, also chronologically happening at the same time, but from different characters' viewpoints. Um, I'm looking at something like that, um, which may lean itself into some kind of like, it's going to sound ambitious, but like a triple release or sort of some interwoven, um, like three interwoven sub-narratives that form one record. I'm not really sure what that's going to look like just yet, but uh, essentially I'm trying to round out some narrative plot points that I can sort of uh, structure the next record around. And it will be sort of the proper story that I've been trying to tell. Um, This record, like I said, is sort of the more prequel, whereas what will be next will be hopefully the actual, like, like I was saying before, quote unquote, present day um, story that I had had originally conceived of. 
So you mentioned uh, in the uh, the question before that, like cross promotion, and we discussed briefly over email um, the idea of being an independent artist and trying to get some attention from the musical world. Like, run through a little bit about that experience for you. Oh, honestly, it's really, really brutal. Um, I mean, even in the short time I was sort of away from the music, like the indie music scene, when I was uh, like taking a break. The musical landscape has shifted so much in that respect. Um, when I first started, like really the first on Wings of Wax record was uh, this sort of renaissance for, for DIY musicians. Um, this was like pre-Facebook being tyrannical and sort of um, keeping your posts hidden behind a paywall. Um, so you, as as independent musicians, had an effective reach online, like a direct reach to an audience. Um, so while challenging to a certain extent because you're not really in front of people and sort of sharing your music in that real-time symbiotic live environment um, there was still very real access to real people that you could have conversations with and really there were less people doing it back then as well so there was sort of this um, perfect storm of the right amount of um, musicians and the right amount of fans and the functional beans to, to reach an audience. And this is like when Bandcamp was sort of really coming to prominence as well as uh, like an independent distribution uh, means as well. And so, yeah, it was this really sort of um, flourishing environment for, for independent musicians. Um, and I mean, to an extent, it still, it still is. I mean, you can still get out there. And like I was saying before, technology is so accessible that pretty much anyone can get involved and, and make music. But uh, the the landscape ironically is getting more and more competitive, and it, it's sort of harder to to make any effective reach um, to, to a potential audience. It's just you know social media is so much more pervasive and so much noisier, um, and it kind of leans it leans into some themes in the record um, because like the the human's attention span seems to be so much shorter and and. Um, music itself has become so much more commodified and sort of easy to digest um, that it, it's proving really, really, really challenging this time around um, to sort of get any sort of meaningful foothold in a community um, of sort of uh, relevant slash passionate uh, listeners to sort of get involved with, if, if, if that makes sense. So, yeah, it's, it's really tricky. I mean, it's, we've really we've kind of come full circle because the internet was this magical thing where independent musicians could just put music out and didn't have to do anything else. Um, but now we've kind of come back to this notion of, I mean, really to be a successful independent musician, and I'll use that term relatively, um, being uh, uh, you know, having a live component to, to what you do, um, you know, selling merchandise and, and those kinds of things is really seemingly how you get a foothold. Um, for someone like me, unfortunately, that is relatively improbable. Um, you know, having a, having a day job and um, not really having a, enough of a musical, um, sorry, not having enough musical touch points around me in terms of like personnel that I could conceivably take this live with. Um, the internet is really my only means of um, accessing an audience. Um, but Really, I haven't I haven't really unlocked any secrets, unfortunately. It's to kind of sort of throw everything at the wall and, and, and see what sticks. Um, and the, to an extent, there has been some success, but in other respects, it's it's been 
it's been incredibly challenging. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm open to any advice if anyone out there has anything to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I get a test in terms of yeah running a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it'd be a little bit difficult. There's quite a few podcasts out there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's su- it's super challenging, you know. And as there are you know, as many tools as there are out there, there are millions of people trying to use them. So it's this sort of it's just this it's this sort of strange uh, codependence, I suppose. But because these platforms wouldn't exist without consumers, but at the same token, these 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 platforms are so saturated that um, it's it's still almost in a sense that sort of that old you know that old fairy tale story of a band getting picked up when they play that terrible club, you know, but some record executive happened to be there. It's kind of like that now, but instead of a, a, a terrible pub and a record executive, it's Twitter and a retweet from someone with a million followers. You know, it's it's still. It still has that luck of the draw kind of vibe to a certain extent, and everyone else is sort of um, at the bottom trying to sort of scrape their way, you know, up the totem pole. When did you start listening to heavy music, and, and what was it that appealed to you? Ooh, I think I might have been. I was maybe twelve or thirteen years old when I sort of heard what I'd term heavy music for the first time. I started learning drums a little bit before that. And so I, my drum teacher started getting me into bands like, um, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, for example, were one of the first, um, sort of rock bands I learned to drum along with. Um, and then from there, I mean, it was at a time where the radio still played like mainstream radio still occasionally played sort of more alternative stuff. So, um, I think POD was the first, heavy music that I sort of gained access to. Um, what was the song? It was Alive. Yeah, that was the song. That was the first, like, proper heavy song I heard and, like, really resonated with me. I, I don't know what it is, honestly, because my, my musical knowledge was still so um, nebulous that it didn't necessarily appeal to me in, like, a technical sense where I was like, oh, I see what that drum is doing. It's hard to say. It's, it's, it's a little intangible, but something about it sort of clicked. Um, and from there, I actually went and bought um, bought POD's record, which was Satellite at that time. Uh, and that sort of opened my door, opened the doors from there. You know, I had a few friends who were getting into similar music at, the, at similar times, and they were like, "Oh, you should check out bands like um, it was Linkin Park back then was was a big one for me. Uh, Three Days Grace, like a lot of the post grunge of that era, um, Breaking Benjamin. That kind of opened opened my eyes to sort of. Um, you know, distorted guitars and 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 um, big drums and that kind of thing. Talk a little bit about like your musical instrumentation journey because it seems like you've kind of gone all over the place. Because you started as a drummer and now you seem primarily to be a guitarist. Talk a little bit about how that's sort of taken place. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I started on the drums and it was sort of um, really by almost by accident because uh, at my high school it was. Um, we had compulsory music class for a semester, I think, or a year. I can't quite remember. Um, and one of those like subjects was learning a drum beat. And that sort of um, sparked my initial interest in, in learning any instrument at all. Uh, and then sort of years went on. And as I listened, I think I must have been 15 or 16 when I first started picking up the guitar. So that was like four or five years later after I started picking up drums. Um, because I, I started hearing more and more heavy music and I was just... I guess innately interested in in wanting to sound like those bands, and um, you know I couldn't always play drums. My, I didn't always have a drum kit accessible with me to play along to these bands. So, but a guitar was 
uh, a much quieter and um, amenable uh, form of accessing um, accessing this music. So I, I started picking it up and, and just teaching myself from there. Um, I have no formal um, musical training in terms of composition or um, guitar or anything like that. It's those only I think I took three years of, of drum lessons and that was pretty much that's pretty much been it for me. So the rest is sort of my my primary interest is guitar, and then everything else is by necessity. So <laughs> I, I play I play the bass guitar on all the on all the music. My drum training um, and experience playing live lends me to be able to compose drums. Um, with with the software that I was talking about earlier, um, and then you know a little bit of keyboard and 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 other sort of odds and ends just to sort of facilitate. It's all it's all means to the same end in just you know being creative and, and writing songs, um, which is why I've also learned to and I'm still learning to to mix um, and and master music. It's all by shoring up short, uh, shortfalls, you know. <laughs> As I ran into a brick wall in terms of writing things, I just sort of taught myself a way around them um so yeah no no formal training it's just a lot of a lot of googling to be perfectly honest and a lot of trial and error recently like you know in the past whatever period what, what have you been listening to musically podcasts what have you been watching and what have you been reading um answer any or you know whatever of those questions you want yeah gotcha all right um musically what have i been listening to um She's actually wrote a list for um, not too long ago. I've been listening to a lot. My, mainly what I've been listening to is um, a British band called uh, Tosca. Um, they're kind of like um, a three-piece sort of progressive rock slash metal thing um, who are really fantastic. Jeez, um, who else? Who else? Um, I'm trying. I'm actually trying to find that list. Uh, a band called Pianos Become the Teeth. Uh, they've got a record called Keep You, um, which I've been really into lately. Um, there's another band, uh, Future Uses, who uh, have some members from, oh, geez, now Intronaut. Uh, that's a really cool sort of weird ambient slash metal record. And I've listened to a lot of um, Coheed and Cambria as well. They just brought out their new record. I'm a, I'm a big fanboy of Coheed and Cambria, so uh, I've been spinning the, the latest record there. Um, books, uh, I was reading The Expanse, uh, sci-fi, sci-fi stuff. Um, I'm working my way through that. Um, but I've temporarily put that down because I'm reading a book called Sapiens by, um, Yuval Noah Harari, I believe. Noah Yuval, I can't remember. I always get that mixed up. Uh, it's a sort of, um, <laughs> it's a very dry anthropological slash philosophical, um, sort of book very non-fictional and um and that kind of thing which has really been interesting to me um not too much in the podcast realm as of these days uh, other than uh, honestly the old russell brand podcast he's got one called under the skin um not so much for him himself but he manages to draw a lot of uh, really interesting um characters who talk big on like uh philosophy and politics and and corporate power and then that kind of thing so uh, which is very aligned to what I've been doing with the Project Heaven Sent stuff. So when I've had the spare time, that's what I've been delving into as well.
wrote by Project Heaven Send and before that in the middle of the interview we heard A Need for Departure also by Project Heaven Send from the album Project Heaven Send by Adam Kluger thanks to him for chatting to me I took a significant chunk out of this evening but there's a great sport about it and um, yeah really really interesting conversation I feel like we went to a lot of places and and I'm looking forward to him releasing another album so we can go to a bunch more places because I feel like Especially as you mentioned, the sort of ideas of corporate power. One of my favourite all-time interviews with Future Corps, we talked a lot about sort of the world we live in more broadly. And I don't know if I got to that as much as I might have liked to with Adam. But um, hopefully in the future, hopefully in the future. Um, so check out Project Heaven Sent. Really, really good album. I think it's going to be really up there for me in terms of top albums for the year. No recommendation. Just go check out Project Heaven Sent. If you have a comment, question, any kind of stuff like that, you can hit me up on Twitter Oz Hunger, you can do Facebook, Instagram, whatever, email australianhunger at gmail.com. If you're in a band and want an interview, let me know and I'll take a look. We'll see what happens. I will have an interview later this week with Lage, chat to them, went some really interesting directions which I wasn't expecting. Um, but until then, thanks for listening and I hope you join me later in the week. Bye.